Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Hyperion Hub. I'm John Alois and joined by Sean Dagenhart. That's me. And John Redling Schaefer. Hi there. We like to start our show off every week with our Disney views. And this week, I want to tell you guys about a Disney documentary that's not on Disney Plus or any Disney channel. It's on Netflix, actually. It's part of the holiday movies that made us. And there's a wonderful show on there about the nightmare before Christmas. Um, it's, it's of course, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, and they talk about why it's called that, by the way. But uh, if you've seen any of these style shows, the other ones that they have are the toys that made us and the movies that made us. And they're kind of a wacky way of telling uh, the, the behind-the-scenes story of the movie. They kind of bounce around. It feels a little disjointed at times, but it's fun, and it all makes sense in the end. And they did that this time with... Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. The other one that they did was Elf, uh, not a Disney movie, but I found it interesting that it's, you know, during the holiday season. I'm I'm not one who considers Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie. This is a debate that goes on and on on the Disney boards, but um, I watch it for Halloween. But I did watch the documentary recently, and it it's fantastic. So make sure you check it out. For many of us, our Disney foundations begin at home. And back in the days when I was a kid, the quickest and most accessible path to the world of Disney was through Disneyland Records. Our guest this week has created a wonderful website dedicated to those old vinyl discs from mousevinyl.com and one of the co-hosts of the Mousestalgia podcast, Dave Braylon, joins us. Thank you so much, Dave. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Where did the love for these old vinyls begin for you? Well, that you know, that's a good question. You know, I uh, I had them as a child, much like everybody else, I think, um, of our age and generation, maybe older. But uh, I distinctly remember having a Fisher Price record player, and uh, it was brown and uh, plastic, kind of looked like it was supposed to be a suitcase type of portable thing. And uh, I would throw my old records on there and listen to them. So it was a lot of Sesame Street and, of course, Disney. And uh, it was my brother, so it was even older than me. <laughs> and then uh, he would hand them down to me. So I was always getting them kind of secondhand. Uh, but I remember just sitting on my brother's bedroom floor and just listening to them and being excited about it and wishing to be able to turn the pages myself. And then I finally got to, I was old enough that I could change, you know, when you hear the chime, turn the page. So uh, I think it really started there. And as I got older, um, you know, we, we were doing a lot of Disney stuff as we started the podcast. And I remember telling my folks, if you find any Disney stuff, send it to me. I don't care what it is. Just send it to me. Don't throw it away. And they took it way too literally. The, if I, I, I don't even want to tell you the stuff they sent me because it was kind of absurd, but um, it worked and they sent me all, all the records that uh, I had as a kid that they still had around. So then I had the idea of how do I save this for when my kids are old enough that they would want it. And that was kind of the birth of mousevinyl.com. I have to tell you, um, I had one of those suitcase record players. Mine, <laughs> mine was the Bee Gees. How great is that? <laughs> 
Oh, nice. wow. Stellar. Stellar. <laughs> My first uh, concert, too, by the way. How crazy. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So tell us about the, the website. Uh, just the idea to be able to share this, you know, with the world mm-hmm. and, and let people kind of relive some of their uh, childhood memories and then share it with their next generation of kids. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what it was. I wanted to save this for my kids and be able to share it with others because I, I saw, I thought certainly other people would want this too. And I think I also thought people would be amazed at some of the stuff Disney was actually involved with and putting out there. And how are they condensing some of these stories down into a 24 page color, you know, illustrated book and uh, like a 13 minute record. Like how do you get like the star Wars story down to that? Or, you know, Indiana Jones down to that. Like there's a lot of abbreviation that happens along the way. And so I, I started going through and just started recording all of them. You know, I had all the audio gear for, from doing the podcast. So I felt like, well, I might as well use that and a scanner and started piecing it together um, and trying to create, and really focus on the see, hear, read side of the Disney records and and uh, all all of the record labels that Disney was involved with because they also had Buena Vista Records and there was um, and they they also released them for some of the other brands as well uh, or it seems like it was almost like they got contracted to like hey we we want the see here read record of our uh, ip can you do this for us is my interpretation or understanding of how it kind of went about for some of these things do you think that other companies and brands just came to disney because they were kind of the the go-to house they knew how to do this and do it well yeah there were really only from from what i've seen there's only been i think two or three real brands that were really doing it at any scale uh, and so you'll definitely see kind of the more generic versions. Um, and I think that was like fun stuff was one of the brands and they, but they also did like, I think some of the, um, like She-Ra and He-Man and some of the, the kind of stuff. And then there was Disney, of course, that was doing all, all of the, uh, their stuff. And so I think it was, they were the premium brand and Disney for a long time, you know, really going back to, uh, if you think about Oswald, really, they have decided we're going to distribute ourselves. We're going to handle this ourselves. We're not outsourcing this kind of thing. And so they became really good at doing that. And they had all the inroads at the record companies and the record stores and the um, contacts for all that kind of thing. So they, you know, it would, it was kind of a no brainer that they would go to Disney to do that kind of, you know, get these out there. I think just from a technical standpoint, I, I, I can't even begin to wrap my head around what you did. I mean, to, to do all of that. I mean, can you even estimate hours, days, weeks, months? I mean, to, to, to physically not only prepare yourself to do this, but then to launch it. I mean, you could get lost on that web page. It's incredible. <laughs> I yeah, did get lost on that web page. <laughs> yeah, I was curious because like I, I had, I'll be honest, uh, I've been uh, pretty negligent with the site for uh, since probably second kid for sure but somewhere even after having the first kid it 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 has the amount of postings to has dwindled to near zero as of the last few years but i have over 330 it looks like audio files that are up there uh and then you know the see here reads have the whole book scanned in, in there and um what you'll also notice is for the lp records that size of a um uh, scan exceeds the size of most scanners. So you end up, I ended up having to do piecemeal. And then it actually, 
well, at least for the scanner I had at the time, basically required each side have four scans and then get stitched together. So that was fairly tight. And you want to do it at a high resolution because you're going to have to stitch it together and everything. So, um, yeah, I'd each one easily, it would easily take, I think, you know, the recording, it was, I think, about half an hour between recording and touch-up type of thing. And then for the scanning, it was usually an hour per book and uh, sometimes a little bit more. And, and even for the, the larger LPs, about the same. And for, as far as the touch-up, that's another thing. I, I get a lot of interesting comments about the audio on there where there's like, oh, you should run it through this filter and you get rid of all these pops and these hiss and stuff. And I, I take a little bit of it out, but um, some of that is like these were toys to a lot of people. And so finding pristine copies is difficult. And um, even still, I like to leave that in there. I, to me, that's part of the nostalgia is hearing that the pops and the hiss and the, and that's making it sound like the the record. But um, so that's intentionally. Some amount of it is in there intentionally. Some of it is also like this was the best. I have three copies of it, and this was the best copy that I had. And I haven't gotten a fourth copy yet to be able to record it. But yeah, I'd, and there are a lot of solutions out there where it's like, oh, I bought this record player, and it has built-in USB, and I just plug it into my computer. And I didn't go the easy route. I had I went and got the old school stereo, you know, that your your parents probably had in their you know shelf of a record player. And then I got a specific. Um, there's a phono output, so match. Because phono output and line output are two different things. And so there's a, I don't I forgot what it's, the name of the, there's a, a industry standard, basically, so that you can get it from the phono output into a line output. And so I have a specific box that just does that. And then I capture, I was capturing it off of that in stereo, even when it was a mono record. Again, just trying to create, capture as much of the fidelity that was part of that record, um, uh, just to archive it really like I this is like I have all the raw recordings of all of these records as well beyond just you know the mp3 version that's up there like I have uh you know higher than cd quality <laughs> captures of all of the records because I, I figured someday I might want to come back to this and take a different stab at it or be able to reprocess it and I've actually I did do that one time uh, I had to do a batch re uh, render of all of them <laughs> Thankfully, I had all these the raw files, and I keep them around just because I never and with the scans too. I just don't know when I might need it someday. I remember um, we didn't get our first VCR until 1986. Nice. So for me, these records were my ways of learning these films. I remember finding the large LP of Snow White, and it came with the book. And I was so excited because I love to do plays and create shows and stuff when I was little. So, you know, this record was my way to capture that story. In going through some old boxes of memories and stuff, I found a script I had typed up on my mom's old typewriter, you know, from this record and done costume design and set illustrations and all that. And it's just because of that record, you know, way before the movies were available for public consumption and like you said i mean that was how you know we were introduced to a lot of these films 
That's awesome. Yeah, we were the same way. I, I used to hold them, you know, right in front of me like I was watching the film. But again, this is 10 years before, you know, we got a VCR as well. So it was uh, it was a way to um, get familiar with the stories, like you said, and, and to really just make this your entertainment. This is how, you know, the kids of the seventies entertain themselves <laughs> and, and early eighties. So, um, you know, the fact that you've put those back on there and man, years go back to the 1950s and you have those awesome old Mouseketeer albums and, and Annette albums. And the fact that they're in great shape, I don't know how you found them like that. Cause <laughs> mine were destroyed. Like you said, oh, we yeah. treated them like mm-hmm. toys. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, you'd use them as frisbees or you'd, you know, leave them out and they get stepped on or they were part of a ramp for your Hot Wheels. Like, you, you know, who knows what they were used for. But yeah, some of them, you like, they are just in horrible shape. But usually what I hope is one of the two things is good, the book or the record. If both things are, that's like gold. But I usually <laughs> expect... A, when I'm looking at the eBay listings, I'm usually hoping that at least one of the two things is uh, solid and the rest, you know, you know, just go with what you get. <laughs> My favorites were the old uh, little golden books, you know, Saggy Baggy mm-hmm. Elephant and Pokey Little Puppy and stuff like that. And I loved all the Disney films as well. Did you have any that you zeroed in on as a kid? Did, did you have some favorites? The For the those old ones, I think... Uh, so there's the tugboat one, as I recall. I think that that was uh, one of the ones that I really liked. And I don't know that it was, I can't remember if it was actually part of the Little Golden Books, but it, I'd want to say the uh, um, Alice Blue Bonnet one is another one of my uh, favorite ones that are kind of one of these older stories um, that were part of the See, Here Read. The Mother Goose nursery rhymes. I think uh, I can yeah. still hear Goofy saying, this is the way the farmers ride. You know, so, I mean, it's just, you know, those are ingrained into my brain. And it's fun yeah. to be able to share that with my girls now, too. You're a part of the Nostalgia podcast along with your wife, Becky, and former guest of the show, Jeff Bam and Kristen Pfeiffer. You're a co-host with your wife for over a decade now. At least that's how long I've been listening. You have (laughs) such a great dynamic, all four of you guys. Um, Tell us about your experience. Uh, I I understand you had some sort of radio background when you first came in. And Um, how did that all come to be? Yeah, so that's kind of funny. So in high school, um, our high school was fairly tech forward and progressive and they decided they wanted to do an internet radio station. And this was in the days of real player one. It was actually, they started the process before 1.0 before real player 1.0. It was like real player 0.8 or something like that. It was like beta basically. And they decided they wanted to do an internet radio station. Um, they actually started off. We, we did, uh, you could, we were broadcasting on campus too, but they wanted, okay, let's go bigger and let's, broadcast this over the internet and so i was part of the team that helped get this and and we got a plaque from real whether it was true or not but it was the first high school radio station in the world to broadcast 24 hours a day live over the internet and so um you know was, we were pretty proud of that and so i did that for a couple of years and i was part of that um and w- i also did dj on top of it so it was uh, and took a radio the radio class there was a radio class so that was a lot of fun and i really enjoyed that a lot but i also did like um 
you know, the soundboard at church when I was in junior high and high school. And um, after college, I my roommate was in a bunch of bands. And well, I mean, I think every musician is in at least two bands. There's always their solo project, and then there's the band, right? It's like so, <laughs> uh, he was he was doing that kind of thing and rotating through bands and such and so i started buying gear because i had kind of this music background and of kind of on the tech side and so i started acquiring all this gear and uh then uh he got married and went off down a different path and eventually i got married and meanwhile all this gear is just sitting in the closet getting dust and my wife becky was like when are we going to get rid of this we got to get rid of this we don't need this it's just sitting there taking up a lot of space because i have three 8U racks of gear, which is a combination of like recording and live effects stuff. So like, it's it's not a small amount of gear. It was taking up a good portion of a closet. Um, and then, you know, we, uh, Becky switched schools and started teaching um, with Jeff's wife. And uh, we went over to, well, actually, the, there's a funny story. Actually, it was while uh, before that, we went over to a house for a costume party and uh here was this house that had just tons of disney stuff all over the place and we're like wow this this person really likes disney like really likes disney and then you know years it was like two years later we ended up back at his house and having dinner at his house and that was jeff's house and it was becky happened to also be friends with like his wife's cousin or something like that so who was house sitting the house that we had this costume party at so it was kind of a weird funny thing but um yeah so we we started hanging out and talking with them and one night after dinner jeff was like hey you know i'm throwing this event down at disneyland for my this website i do doom buggies like it's a lot of money but if you guys want to come you can come like it's up to you and so we're like yeah we'll go we'll do it we didn't have kids we had you know discretionary income and like uh you know we were were up for a party and doing something else and so we ended up going and to jeff's uh i think it was the 13th or 14th anniversary uh of this doom buggies website and i remember before we left for that from that trip we decided to get annual passes like we both had grown up I had gone to Disneyland a bunch as a kid and she had gone to Disney world a bunch growing up. Uh, and so it was kind of like, yeah, why haven't, well, I know what, that's a whole nother story of why we hadn't been there before together, but we, we, uh, we, um, we decided to get annual passes and then we started, you know, continued to hang out with Jeff and was like, Hey, you know, I've been thinking about doing this podcast thing. I was like, Hey, I got this gear. We're good to go. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. Well, we're running out of excuses not to do this podcast that he and Kristen had been talking about. And we actually had met Kristen and, and hung out with her as well uh, at that point. And the next thing you know, we're uh, doing a podcast. And that was in, we released the first one in August of 2008. Yeah, that's, and, and you guys have done so much. You've accomplished so much. In that time frame, what's the most exciting thing you think you've been a part of through the podcast, through Nostalgia? That is a big question. There is just, 
it's so like we've there's been so many high points and so many magical moments where it's like magical really it is probably an overused term in their our fandom but it really <laughs> i don't know how else to describe it like when we were on episode three i think it was when margaret carey came over to our house and had brunch with us while we then interviewed her like it was like what's happening right now like and and like, <laughs> how did this happen or you know uh being in line for the haunted mansion with bob gurr and you know neil patrick harris or you know like there's this how do you explain these this you know i i think though that um one of the high points I think where I feel like it almost like how, where do we go from here was when we hosted the Tahitian Terrace dinner in Disneyland with Imagineers and like you have Tony Baxter being the plus one for somebody that you invited like <laughs> and you know oh yeah Kevin Feige's brother's there and like you know Bob Gurr and like it's just it, and they're just in the audience. They're not even the ones up on stage, you know? So like it was, that was one of those, how did we do this? How did we get here? And how do we ever top this? And I mean, part of, part of it is we, we've had a hard time coming up with an idea that would top it. We've got ideas, but it's, as you can imagine, topping those um, it requires a lot of effort and Disney's approval to, to do. So we have yet to do it. But I think, Hosting the Tahitian Terrace, a night of Tahitian Terrace in the original location, it, it was that was probably been one of the the peaks of being a, a podcaster. Well, and that's and that's the interesting part to me is that you you hit this peak. All right, where do you go from here? What reinvigorates you? You know, I think we were we talked with Jeff about this a little bit. Is you know, there's this you know almost game that you know even John and Sean and I play is. We, we don't want to drop the ball here. We don't want to miss the, the next episode. You know, what is it? Um, is it the, the goal of trying to outdo yourself or just the joy and love you have for podcasting on, on Disney-related topics that does reinvigorate you? 12 years is a long time. You know, what, 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 what drives you? Yeah, I, you know, really, it's um, those are very invigorating, those events, those, you know, whether it's either it's the expo or it's one of these events that we throw or a meetup. Those are all very like energizing. And I always feel super energized after those. But the thing that I would say that really keeps me going is just often enough, we get these emails that were like, I was in a really dark place and you really helped me get this, get through this. And I just can't, you know, thank you enough um, for please keep doing what you're doing. And I see those emails and those are the things that keep me going. It's like, all right, I'm actually maybe making the world a better place. Like in, I, I impacted this one person's life and that's enough. I'm good. I got to keep going because I hope, I don't know how many ones that we're not getting the emails about, but we are impacting them. We're somehow bringing the little joy into the world, making the world a little bit better of a place. And I think you know, hopefully that's most people's goal in life is to make the world a little bit better. And I think that's really what invigorates me is when I see those is like, well, I can't let them down. I can't, I can't miss out on the opportunity to help that person, you know, somehow make it through that day, that week, that year, whatever it is. Um, uh, but yeah, we get, we get, we don't get them, you know, it's not like a weekly thing, but we get them just often enough, you know, a few times a year where it's just like, all right, yep, we got to keep doing this. We got to keep going. Excellent. Excellent. 
you know, you guys, uh, you close out, and you in particular close out every show with Carpe Kingdom. What is mm-hmm. the significance behind that? How did that come about for you guys? Can you please explain the meaning? <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we get a lot of questions about that one. I mean, first, we always get you know, like, how do you pronounce our podcast name? Because until you hear it, it's like um, Bob Gurr pronounced it Maustaglia. And it's like, well... <laughs> Well, okay, we're Italian podcast, but sure. If Bob Gerb said it, you should have just changed it to that. <laughs> but uh, Carpe Kingdom was it was another one of Jeff's brainchilds, and it was uh, really kind of a play on Carpe Diem, which is seize the day. And if you've ever seen Dead Poet Society, you know that that's uh, that's a thing. Um, and so it's really a play on that. And it's more of like seize the magic. Like hopefully you can somehow find magic in your everyday and somehow bring a little bit of that Disney magic, find that Disney magic wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You don't have to be at a Disney park, but like look for it, find it and seize it. And like, you know, use that as kind of a basis to kind of keep you grounded in the, the Disney fandom, I guess. <laughs> You have a, a favorite spot in Disneyland. Uh, there's a sign that you take a picture of every time you walk <laughs> under that uh, train station tunnel. Yes. I have it above the door to my office. It says, here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy. Perfect. What is it about that? What is it about Disneyland? What is it about this this uh, creative world of fantasy that you love so much and you share with your family and your friends and the world through your podcast. You know, the sign is just, it's the, it's the sign that you are. And I think it really describes it well. Like you're leaving the, what this world that you came here with, whatever's on your shoulders, holding you down, pushing you down. And you're walking into this fantasy world where things are nearly perfect. And you know, everything's been thought about in great detail and Everybody is there to have fun. Everybody wants to have fun. Everybody there is have fun. And everybody that's working there is trying to make fun. And just walking down that main street, like I can feel a lot of my worries, my stresses just leave. Like it's almost uh, almost a spiritual kind of thing. Like uh, I, I don't, you know, worship at the Church of Mouse, but I do feel like it is just like I feel that just relaxation come over me and this this excitement come uh, upon me about being there and i don't even have to go on a single ride i don't have to eat a single churro but if i just going down main street it, it makes me feel that way and that sign is my reminder that this is where i'm at and this is what's about to happen as i walk under that tunnel and hit main street i think we all feel that way Well, you know, like I said, we're nostalgic for the past and we can all enjoy those records on Mouse Vinyl and the current shows on Mousestalgia. And to borrow, can I borrow the line? Yes. Carpe Kingdom, Dave. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. I just want to give everybody our schedule for the remainder of the year. Next week, we will have our Disney Christmas episode. And following that, a year in review. And then we'll take a few weeks off. Until then, remember to hit subscribe on whatever podcatcher you listen to us on so you never miss a show. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at 
podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub. Thank you.